Let's pray. May the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. Amen. Now I was about 15 years old. I went to Methodist church and uh, every now and again, maybe once a month, a pastor by the name of Reverend Atwell used to come and he always used to open with that prayer. So I just, for some reason, remembered it and thought, well, I'll be Reverend Atwell. Um, eyes are obviously a theme today. You know, uh, and you pay attention to themes. Like that giraffe, when we first saw it, had no eyes. that just had sockets. So I said to him, it has no eyes. So he immediately got down and put some eyes in. Now how cool would that be for spiritual healing? And maybe it's meant to be like that. Here's some eyes. You see, God has eyes and he has ears and he has healing. He doesn't have sickness. So he doesn't cause blindness. He doesn't cause negative things to happen. They happen within the context of the broken world in which we live. I want to reflect today on, on the resurrection, uh, on that time where, you know, Good Friday was human beings taking what was good, distorting it, politicizing it, and eventually killing it. That uh, no matter how kind God is, no matter how good he is, no matter how much he pours himself out, at the very core of the human heart is a battle as to who's going to be in charge, who is God. And while we say all kinds of things, uh, truth always comes from our actions. Truth always comes from what do we do. It's easy to speak, but it's what we do that is actually the witness to who we truly are. And what happened with Jesus was that uh, despite all the healing, despite all the gentle ministry and sometimes tough words, he was an enormous threat to the status quo. He was an enormous threat to how things were in the church. And so people took the scriptures and they used the scriptures to, ki to, to kill him. That's why it's important to go, you know, you can quote scripture, you can call yourself First Bible Church of Port Alberni. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't say anything. It's what you do with that word and how you use that word that makes a difference. I'm actually going to give you five points, which is very unusual, um, eventually, about what I'm saying this morning. Because what I'm wanting to talk about this morning is how to hear God, know God, uh, find God. You know, you can stand here and you can hear someone like Amy say, oh, Jesus was right next to me. And you go, yeah, he's never been near me. And oh, yes, I just looked up on the internet and there's Randy Clark and, and he says a prayer and boom, and I've said prayers and nothing happens. It's really, really easy to listen to the testimony of others and just go, yeah, until we start saying no, but there's a paradigm shift we want God to do. We want him to change our hearts to really believe that I'm included. And that's why we need one another because depending on our background, I spent years and years and years believing that generosity was not a hallmark that God would release to me. And, and one of the things that uh, we see in, in this reading we read, because uh, I want to really dwell around the, the, the tomb, is there's nothing passive, there's nothing that just stays still. Um, remember that in heaven there are no tombs, and Jesus hates tombs. Whenever he sees one, he wants to open it. A tomb is a representative of what human beings, that's kind of their last, the last thing they can do. When people stop breathing, you put them in a tomb because there's nothing else we can do. The tomb represents, and Good Friday represents, this is the best and the worst that we could do on earth. We crucify and we bury. We bury the wounded, we bury the enemy, we bury the friend, we bury. 
And in a sense, Good Friday is a testimony to everything that humanity needed to be rescued from. And then comes Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Pharisees walk with God restricted in their understanding. Pharisees are those who take their minds, take the word, put them together, see what they can get from it, and then say, this is what I'm doing. Pharisees are those who have said, the, the part that I'm going to know about God is the part that I can understand. Uh, it's a lot of work being a Pharisee, but a Pharisee actually has a very, very small capacity because our ability to understand is so small. I mean, imagine if I could flick a switch and say everything in your life will now be reduced to what you can understand. Some of us might well be sitting here naked. I don't even understand how my clothes are made. That'd be embarrassing. But imagine if everything that was part of our lives reduced to what I can understand. We would be walking home. All our cell phones would be out, out of order. Probably everything here would, you know, the microphone wouldn't work and the lights would go out. If it's all dependent on our understanding, most things wouldn't function. We wouldn't be flying anywhere. We do a lot by faith, pretty much everything. And so the Pharisees were those who in the spiritual world um, theoretically, and we still have it, theoretically believe God can do this. Theoretically believe. You, can, you have these endless debates amongst Christians between evolution and, and the end times. And I never understand. You will never hear me speaking about either because I just think it's a waste of time. I think God created and God will wind it all up. As Bill Cosby says, he'll blow the whistle, everybody out the pool. How he does it, I haven't got a clue. And I'm not interested in actually going, well, who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved? Because he loves people more than I do. And I haven't got a clue how he's going to work it all out. So I operate from the revelation of God expressed in Jesus. And I can trust Jesus and his character to work out the beginning and the end. He did say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we waste a lot of time theorizing over the beginning and the end in order not to live in the present. And sometimes we debate forever and you go, and, and, and if you're right, now what? What difference is it going to make? So living in the present is very important. And the disciples were in the present. And their present was they had a tomb that was guarded by Roman soldiers who were the power of the day, who were very intimidating, they had a leader who they had poured out their lives to and he was in that tomb and they were on Saturday. I don't know what they did on Saturday. They probably cried a lot. Maybe some of them were angry. They probably hid because they were hiding on Sunday. Now what? And Easter is a wonderful moment for those of us and they, it includes all of us where we go now what? Everything I had hoped for hasn't happened. Disillusionment is closer to me than Jesus. Fear is more real to me than peace. Despondency and anger is much more what I feel. And I haven't got a clue what is going on. And following God, coming to terms with God, actually will bring all of those realities into our being. You will have those times. You have to. Because if you don't want to be a Pharisee who restricts everything to your understanding and you want to know the living God, he is going to stretch you to places where you cannot explain He'll give you enough to work with. That's what we're thinking about. So the disciples are stuck on Saturday trying to process the crucifixion and reminiscing probably about their times with him. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some tension between them. And what is the resurrection where God breaks open that tomb and he appears? What does it tell us about him? I think the, the biggest thing it tells us about him is that he actually cares. He loves. He knows us. 
He knows you. So, first point, because one of the things that we read is, firstly, the, these guys, they go to the tomb, and I'll come to that in a minute. But when, when they go to the tomb in Luke, um, when Mary goes to the tomb, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over the, to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, be rose again. Which those words are now our scriptures. And then they remembered his words. And one of the things that Easter tells us and the reflection of the disciples, there was another time where Jesus appeared to them on the Emmaus Road and they said, don't you know, are you the only one who doesn't know? This Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, they've taken him. And when Mary found him, that's what they went back, we thought about this last week, she went back and said they've stolen him. And their conclusion was, Peter's was, I don't know what's going on, they must have stolen him. The Roman guards aren't here. Their perception of God, their perception of miracle, their perception of resurrection was not in their paradigm yet. And there are things that are of God that will, will, will expand our paradigm. That's why healing is so important. Because healing, in terms of our culture, has to be through medicine. And there's no conflict between medicine and God. It's just that medicine is restricted and so there's an element of, we often speak about what God will do, but we don't actually believe he will do it. And so the one thing that you get out of the resurrection appearances is that Jesus meets with his disciples, he meets with people, and even in that passage I just read, the insinuation is they remembered his words after the angels had told them, is that we want to allow the Bible, the written word of God, to inform our experience rather than have our experience inform the written word. If you let your experience determine what you're going to believe in the Bible or not, you're not going to have a lot of experience. You're going to be cynical and God is going to be reduced to some social work kind of good guy. But there's going to be no mystery, there's going to be no power, there's going to be no expansion beyond your capacity to understand. So, if cell phones and computers were limited to your extent of, of, of understanding, what would they look like? Plastic toys, probably. Allow what is written in the scriptures, and, and often people read the scriptures badly. They read them, and then they sort of literalists, and so they just kind of, we have to learn how to read. You have to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to understand. It's like every other discipline. And that should be encouraging for us because sometimes you see things. I've spoken on this Bible, you know, for 40 years now on and off, mostly on. And when I started, I had this, I still have this big filing cabinet. And in it, I have every book of the Bible in files and every sermon I would put in because then I can get material. I don't have to prepare. I can just churn them out. You know, I tried going back and I, usually my response is your response, possibly like you actually said this. My past sermons bore me to death. They might bore you to death now, but my awareness takes time, so it's later. But I've never gone back to a past sermon because it's dead. It's given. It's done. It doesn't inspire me. I can't do it. So I have this filing time that I still don't know why I haven't burnt it. I guess it might happen sooner than later now. But it's just I don't even file them anymore. They're on my computer now. It's a habit. So I have these things filed, but I never, ever, ever look at them. Because it just doesn't live for me. And why, why I say that is that the scriptures are like that. 
that you come to them fresh and you find things in them that you might not have seen before or they do in different nuances. And so the Bible is like that. You start reading it daily just to, to let it soak into you. Sometimes it speaks, sometimes it, it's not so clear. And what the disciples found at Easter was one of the things Jesus did was really to say, what is happening now has its roots in the scriptures in the Old Testament. And he opened their minds so that they could see why and how. But beforehand, they hadn't known. They read it, but they thought it was either to the context of Isaiah. They didn't see that Isaiah, as a prophet 800 years before Jesus, was speaking to the local king, but he was also speaking. And I don't think Isaiah knew what he was doing. He was giving prophetic words about the coming of Jesus. Or the writers in the Psalms speaking about how you would be betrayed. There's mystery and power in the Bible that is absolutely amazing. Three different continents, you know, 60-something different books, different authors, all kinds of stuff brought together and actually stitched together by God's Spirit that they make sense. I don't know how it all really works. I just know that they have life. So one of the things about Easter that was rooted for the disciples, the first thing maybe was that this wasn't just a sort of crazy event, even though it felt crazy, that in the history of time and in the perspective of God's purposes, it actually was prophesied that the life, death and resurrection of Jesus has more than 600 prophetic words in the Old Testament, written, sealed 200 years before Jesus is born. I just say that to say for those who are intellectual, there's a lot of intellectual roots for Christianity that you can explore. I get so amused by people who go, oh, it's not intellectually satisfying because they usually have not set, even looked at it. My theory is that um, everybody lives from their heart and from an emotional root, not from an intellectual one. Even the intellectual ones reflect an emotion. That if you look and push people deep enough, you'll find that their emotions are the things that drive them, not their, their intellect. Because you can't get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness through the intellect. It might show you a direction, but you can't experience it. Keep on track here, John. So the women went to the tomb and they found it open. What happens when you go to the tomb? What happens when you're stuck? What happens when nothing seems to be happening? In John chapter 20, we read of Mary going to the tomb. Somebody mentioned this at a Bible study on, uh, on Wednesday. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed. If you don't know what to do, do the next best thing. What I mean by that is, well, what would you normally do? You've got a dead body in a tomb. What does your culture, what do you normally do? Will you normally go and visit the tomb? Well, then go and visit the tomb. And so Mary did what was normal for their, them and their culture. And you see, God knows you and your culture. He knows who you are. And, and we've said before, God will speak to you in ways that you can hear and he will speak to you in a language you can understand and he will speak to you through the culture that you live in in many ways and many times. But one of the things we want to break is the passivity of imagine if the disciples didn't go anywhere. Nobody went to the tomb. And eventually Jesus would have appeared to them because he's going to let them know he's resurrected. But they've actually just lost maybe 12 hours or two days, who knows, on the revelation that could have been theirs. If you want to see God work, then make sure that you're doing something as well. This is not about performance. It's about if you're hungry, look for food. Some of us don't see God and don't feel God and don't experience God because we never move. We just get angry. And so we sit there saying, well, God's never done anything for me. And the chances are for the next five years, that's going to be your testimony. Why don't you do something different? Why don't you? God 
doesn't need to prove himself to you. Um, he does say things like, look at creation, look at the world and see how that bears witness to me. But he's very sympathetic to us in our human brokenness and our human weakness. So at this resurrection time, there's a God who actually deeply loves the people who are so wounded. And he's actually going to try and make it as easy as possible for them to have a breakthrough. And that's his heart for you as well. He's not out to make life difficult. And so Mary goes to the tomb and she sees the tomb open. And she sees there are no guards there. And she probably peers in and, and she draws the wrong conclusion. But at least she's got something to work with. So what does she do? She runs back. Where does she run back? She runs back to the others. And she, she runs to the disciples. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which is John. He always does that. Um, and says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Now, now Peter is you know, bright orange in, in personality color. And Peter doesn't stop and help. Well, let's talk about that. Let's pray. Let's, God, what are you saying here? He goes... I'm going to go and see for myself. It's a very good thing to do. When you don't understand something, one of the things to do is sometimes to go and see for yourself. But if you're like me, for instance, people started... I remember when you know, people were worshipping and, and they were getting all enthusiastic and I'd be very nervous and very awkward and very embarrassed. So I wouldn't go to services because I was actually scared of the emotion. And I'd have a great theology about it. My, my theology, which was, you know, my rationale was, I think it's too emotional. What I was really saying was, I'm not very emotional and I'm really quite threatened by all this demonstration. And eventually God had to melt that and start saying, kind of chill out. And so our responses to things will tell us about ourselves. I'm not going to go to healing services because they're too emotional. And it's like out of my paradigm. And I, the, you know, there's so many people who cheat and, and, and so, you know, it can't be true. I was scared of girls, so I had a theology about God doesn't want anybody to dance. Until I met a girl and wanted to dance. My theology changed. Maybe shouldn't have. Um, but we are intriguing in our ability to create worldviews that protect ourselves so that what we say we believe, we don't actually live out because we're threatened by the consequences. That's why we have to allow God to break us down. So the, the paradigm here is, is Mary runs back. And this Sunday morning, is, there's a lot of running going on. Mary runs back and says, they've taken the body. Peter runs there. And then one disciple whom Jesus loved, John, runs there too. And, and, and can't, can't resist saying, I actually beat Peter. It's so funny. It's totally irrelevant. But he just can't resist going... The one in Jesus, but Peter went in first. And they went in and they saw this and, and they go, what has happened? And they can't work it out, so they go home again. If you want to develop your relationship with God and the mystery, what's the next step for you? What's the part that you're struggling with right now? What's the, the block? What would you like to see? Ask yourself that. Some of us are afraid of asking the question because we still believe in the back of our minds that if I give my whole life to God, he's going to demand something of me that's going to make it less wonderful than it already is. But I'm actually looking for him because my life isn't so wonderful. And we are afraid of risking because of what God might do. And Jesus must look at us sometimes and say, you idiot, I have fullness of life here that would actually make you come alive and you're believing the lies. So you have to take a step at a time and the, and the way you take a step at a time is what is the next thing that you're battling with? When did you last, for instance, run? When did you last run toward God or around anything to do with God? Or are you expecting him to keep on running? To, he's already 
right with you, by the way. He can't get any closer. So the, the issue is not about God wanting to be with you. It's about how do I become open to him. And so Peter and John ran and then they ran away again. You remember the other time there was running was when the prodigal son's father, the prodigal son's coming home, he screwed up his whole life. The father, who is a symbol of God, runs to the son because he's so delighted to see the son. He's so thrilled to see his son turning homeward. God does not, you know, in the baptism last week, I said, you know, God just needs a wave. He just needs some little excuse to come running because you and I don't believe how much he loves us. He loves you more than you know. If you were in his presence right now, because I used to be this, so I'll just project onto you. I mean, if I'm in God's presence right now, it's going to be, oh, shoot, here's trouble. Because from my background, my father would, you know, most of the time he just thought I was rude. And often I was just trying to express something. And God took a long time for God to go, I love you. I like you. And I'm actually never going to make you completely whole because I want you to be an encouragement to others. You see, it's broken people through whom God works that encourages other broken people to believe there's room for them as well. If we were perfect, we wouldn't be encouraging to each other. You'd be out of reach. That's why stained glass windows are not helpful. They're beautiful, but they're not a helpful place to put James and John and Peter and Paul. Because the St. James and Johns and Peters and Paul are not reachable. It's one of the reasons why one of my core passions is that I don't wear dog collars and I don't dress up because I believe with all my heart that the gospel is something that's for all people. You can't become a professional. That can be a ministry, but you can't become elevated because of a professional title. Jesus didn't franchise it out. So the second point, I don't know if we've lost the second point, but the second point is, is what Mary did, which is start with where you, ever you are and go in your, like he said to Gideon, go in your own strength. Just start and go. Pursue something. If you read, find a book. If you engage with people, go and ask somebody who might have learned something. Just seek it out. Seek and you will find. The resurrection and the open tomb is God saying, despite you killing me, I'm actually open for business and I'm here for you and I want to be known. That's the whole point of what we've been through. Mary stayed at the tomb. (coughs) Verse 11 of John 20. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. All the others had left. They'd gone back home, wherever that was. Mary didn't go back home. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. They weren't there when James and John looked in. Sometimes there will be angels, sometimes there will be supernatural, sometimes it's just what you see there in the ordinary. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I'm going to be controversial this morning. Sometimes if you marinate in God's word, there are things that you might find in between the lines. Now, this is controversial probably, and I don't want you to kind of quote me. or um, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying is, is what somebody would say. <coughs> Mary was at the tomb and she was crying. There's a theory, I don't believe it, that Jesus and Mary were married. That's one of those theories that you probably have heard. But I want you to listen to this. Jesus was 33 when he died. I don't know if you know about men between 15 and 30, but they're not hormonally dead. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. What if Mary was the woman closest to Jesus' heart? What if Jesus, in his, Jesus growing up and as a man would have had watched all his children, all his family, all his friends get married and have children? by the age of 33, because they, they were married and they're 15, 16-year-old. They didn't live as long. 
What do you think Jesus stirred in Jesus? I would like to be married. I would like to have children. Why I'm spinning this out, there's a reason for it. You see, it moves me deeply, actually. It's like Joseph and Mary are married and and Mary is pregnant. And for nine months as they're married, they don't actually get physically intimate for a greater cause. There are a lot of sacrifices that are hidden between the cracks of the gospel. One of the things that you hear often in our culture right now is um, abstinence is not something that's possible. And what if Jesus, if you were to say, God doesn't know what it's like. What if you were to say, and Jesus was to say, I do know what it's like. Mary won my heart, but I never crossed a line with her because you needed a savior. And so for a greater cause, I laid that down, but it doesn't mean I didn't feel it. And what if Mary had to share that? This might be total rubbish, but for me, it takes me into the sacrifices even more meaningful because God became human. He became flesh. He knows what it's like, I think, to love a woman, but to have the boundaries there because the world needed one man to die on a cross without sin. I mean, to me, it's a greater act of love than, oh, Jesus walked through to 33 and he was pretty much numb. It's much more powerful that God enters into my humanity and actually says it is possible. And so I just wonder, in the quietness of the, a God of detail, sensitivity, I wonder whether Mary being there was... There's just something else there too, which is, I want to bless you. I'm not trying to sort of speak heresy. Don't go down that road. But if you want the scriptures to speak into your spirit, if you want them to speak deep into your spirit, then let them marinate. What would it be like? What does it feel What if Jesus said, the first person I want to see is Mary? And Mary, you see, we can be honest with God and real with him. And she was there in her grief. And I'm going to just say the man she loved died brutally. And she was at his death. And she's grief-stricken. And you can bring your grief-stricken self to God. You don't have to say, I have to be something. You don't. You just be. And she sees this angelic super spiritual stuff and then she turns and she sees this man who appears to her as a stranger and then there's the revelation as Jesus speaks and I'm nearly finished God meets us where we are but you know one of the things you might notice is that he asks her woman why are you crying and I I want to say this to you because the first question in the Bible to Adam and Eve is where are you walking along the Emmaus road what is wrong God asks some really stupid questions. The blind man, do you want to see? Why? What? How does a father speak to a child? Many, many times as a parent to a child, you ask, where does it hurt? What are you scared of? You ask a question to convey a tone. The way you ask a question tells them whether you're angry or not. The way you ask a question, the tone of your voice soothes them and draws them closer or it pushes them away. It engages them. Tell me where it is for you. And I want to say to you that God is very relational and he's very conversational. And for some of us, I just want to say to you, start asking and answering the questions. But you have to speak them out. You have to speak them out. There's something in speaking out that releases spiritual power. And one of the ways we've had our lives killed is there's too much silence. There's too much not speaking out what is in us. What is it you need? What is it you want? What is it that's hurting? What is it that's getting in the way? Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And then Jesus says, Mary. Now Bill, is Bill, Bill's not here. He's doing something else. But when he was reading that on Easter morning, I think he sort of read uh, like this. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? 
Mary! And I wanted to get up and say, no, let's do this again, gently. He was just trying to be heard. But there's an element of, I think it was a very, very tender moment. Mary, and she knew. And then she just clung to him. And the sacrifice is, you can't stay here. Sacrifice is, go and tell my brothers, is what he calls the disciples. Go and share the revelation. God and Jesus are always about sharing life, not just holding it within one or two people. And if he does it for Mary, he does it for you and me. And the last one, so God will meet us where we are. He met Mary. And then through Mary, he met the disciples. So he didn't send angels to the disciples at that point. He sent Mary. Sometimes the answers that God gives us will come through other people, through our friends. Again, that's why we need conversations. And finally, it's just the one that we know a lot, but they, the disciples that, that same night were gathered in the upper room. The evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Jesus always wants to bring us peace. Fear is never a hallmark of what God has for us. It's always peace. I'm going to wind it up there. I want to just uh, to spend a few minutes with Jesus now. But the one other thing I would say that comes out of these passages, that comes out of this resurrection morning, is that you notice that, that God never stops with the individual. In other words, we need one another. The disciples needed Mary. Mary needed the disciples. Peter needed John. John needed Peter. They all needed each other. And for the full revelation to come, it comes to the group, not to the individual. So eventually the group gathers together and and they get more and more. And John actually says in this chapter a bit later, he says, you know, there were many other signs given. And a, a great prayer for us is merely going, Father, I want the conviction that Peter and John and Mary got to. I want that for myself. And that's why it's, what's the next question for you? What's the next question? What's the next challenge? Or what's the next, what would you like? And then lay that before God and start expecting the answers, searching out the answers. Let's stand. Let's stand and just uh, let Jesus converse with us. Father, I just pray for your your presence right now in this room to to become very personal. And, And if you can, just open your heart to him. Just open your heart to his presence. And I just want to lead us through a few questions, really, where it's just you and Jesus right now. There's mystery in this. If you close your eyes, you won't be looking around. Because what God did on that first Easter morning, he absolutely does every morning to anyone who wants it. So what causes you not to believe? There might be lots of unbelief. I don't believe God will take me any further. I don't believe God will heal us. I don't believe God will help me. I don't believe, whatever it is, if there's any unbelief, just tell him about it. What do you believe? What don't you believe? One of the greatest prayers in the New Testament was, Lord, help my unbelief. Father, thank you that you're not angry. Thank you that you're not disappointed. Thank you that you don't look at us as Tish spoke to and said, oh my word, you failed me. Thank you that you do not have your backs to us. Encourage you to keep your eyes closed. Sometimes when I pray this, I do look around and sometimes I want to stop and point you out and call your name sometimes the very people who need to hear from Jesus are the ones who sort of seem to disengage. So I just want to encourage you to engage. Are there tombs and stones in your life that are still there? Tombs and stones, which, which means that you've got something covered up. It might be a relationship. It might be an admi- something. It could be anything. Where if you were to be told right now, take that stone away, you'd go, no way because you would have all kinds of reasons. It's going to impact my marriage. It's going to impact my... This is going to stink inside. God 
eventually desires that every tomb in our lives is, is an open one. There's been resurrection. Is there anything that is like an, a closed tomb for you? Will you let Jesus come to it? With Lazarus, he came to an empty tomb and he, a closed tomb and he, he told the sisters to move that stone away. With the resurrection of Jesus, he t- took them to the tomb and the stone was already rolled away. works both ways. And I don't know why he does one one way and the other the other way. But Father, we just bring you the tombs. We bring you anything that's hiding shame, regret, secrets. Thank you there's no condemnation. But thank you that uh, you can bring healing and freedom wherever there is any tomb. So without going into some heavy inner healing right now, just give God permission. If you've got a closed tomb right now, I've just got this picture of just put some flowers at the tomb as an indication that you're wanting God to work. Just place a bouquet of flowers at that tomb and say, Jesus, I want this to be opened. I'm absolutely terrified. There might even be some tombs you go to and you think they're closed and he just says, that's already been opened but you just didn't realize it. And Father, I just pray in these next days uh, you will take us deeper into the miracle of your presence in our lives. Where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Are you weeping like Mary? Are you running? Are you running toward him? Are you running away from him? Are you locked up in fear in an upper room? Are you filled with peace? Are you filled with something else, dread? I just speak peace over you in the name of Jesus. I speak to fear to be gone in the name of Jesus. I break lies over you in the name of Jesus. I break lies where you believe that if you risk with God, he's going to steal your happiness, he's going to steal your friend, he's going to break your relationship. I break lies in the name of Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, receive peace in the name of Jesus. That the one who revealed himself to the the disciples, who opened up the tomb, is one who can be trusted implicitly with your life. And finally, if there are places where you're blocked, you're struggling, where your understanding is limited, Father, I pray that you release a gift of faith to go beyond what our understanding leads us to. And I pray that in the resolving of these things, you will give us people to talk to, that you would give us conversations, that we wouldn't travel alone, but that we would seek out others that would be able to help us move forward. So we thank you for the gift of one another. And some, for, for some of us, Lord, you're actually right in front of us, but you look like a stranger. And so I pray that you speak our names to us so that like Mary, we would recognize you. Thank you for the resurrection presence of Jesus here right now. Maybe the worship team can come up so we can just finish with a song but thank you for the the presence of your spirit and so I encourage you to thank God for his presence with you his love for you his future for you that this whole resurrection was for you that you might know him better that you might have a hope and that things that have been locked up can be set free so I pray the blessing of God the Father upon you and I pray the Holy Spirit be released in you and through you in ways that would cause you to run with joy and with hope In Jesus' name, amen.